1: Oh, is it happening?
0: It's happening. Oh, it's happening. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott.
1: What is happening, y'all? This podcast, hopefully, is happening. That, well, that is conclusive. Yes. like the, it. We, it is happening. It continues to happen. It continues to happen and happen more. Yeah. It's it's bonkers.
0: It is bonkers. And I love it. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Mm -hmm. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're just two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Someone made fun of me for saying regular Canadians and posted something to do with uh,
1: poop. Poop. Yeah. I wouldn't really say we're ordinary either. We are ordinary. We're pretty, pretty So
0: Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine.
1: mm mm mm
0: This is episode 56. We started off 2019 with a bang covering the disappearance of four-year-old Michael Dunahy of Victoria, B.C.
1: Yep. Yeah, that was a heavy one. That was a really heavy one.
0: It was. Uh, however, the reactions to it have been super positive. We got the most shares across any of the sites that we typically have our stuff shared on. So, Oh,
1: really? Yeah. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And, and we had the most downloads ever in a single day for a single episode.
1: Wow. Yeah, I, I did uh, a, like Global News shared us and stuff like that. I did. There was one I went to and I read some of the comments. And again, don't read comments in Facebook or anywhere. It's just crazy how just one person I read was like going off on his parents. Yeah. And I was just like, I just it takes every ounce of strength yeah. to just not reply with you. Incessant and you insensitive piece of shit.
0: What? yeah, yeah. Do not feed the trolls.
1: Well, they, unless they're hungry. then.
0: We'd love to see this solved. And a little bit of a teaser, we're going to have more information from somebody related to the case. Great. Yep. Yeah. So that'll be coming in the spring. This is the first of our cases other than Sam Meadows' research for the Wesley Hallam case in the Sioux that I received a ton of help with this episode that we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, listener Rebecca McNall she's a criminology student in Ontario she reached out to me and offered assistance researching so this is the first case that I gave her and she really came through for us so thank you Rebecca that's
1: so awesome Rebecca i i love that kind of participation with our listeners like them getting to actually be involved yeah, so heavily totally. in in what we what we do it's pretty pretty wicked
0: She's been working on some other cases for us, and we're way ahead on the big one that I've been working on, so this is good. Uh, This particular episode covers a group of crimes all orchestrated by the same man. Oh. And I've been wanting to cover this for some time, but I don't know how many people are going to know who this guy is. The first of his crimes happened early in the 1970s. So there may not be a lot of listeners who even were alive then or are familiar with that particular part of the story.
1: In typical fashion with me, I'm not usually up to date with who we're covering. And this name, though, stood out for me. I, I, I'm pretty confident I'm going to know the case because uh, the name in my, it was like, ah, a little that's bit, familiar. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think we've talked about it briefly.
1: Probably, these are the crimes
0: of Hungarian-born and former successful millionaire Toronto real estate developer, Peter Demeter.
1: Or as I will, I'm going to call him, Peter Demeter. Peter Demeter, yeah. Because it just, it, it's spelt that way. That's how I'm going to say it.
0: On the evening of July 18th, 1973, Christine Demeter, a 32-year-old Austrian-born model, Stayed home with her three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Andrea. Everyone else had gone on a shopping trip to Yorkdale Plaza, about half an hour away. Peter Demeter, Christine's husband, was driving her small Mercedes Coupe. The passengers were... Sybil Brewer, originally from Germany but now residing in Connecticut. Sybil's two daughters... Demeter's 17-year-old goddaughter, Vivica Esso... Rounding out the group crammed into the car... Was... The family dog, a Spaniel named Beelzebub. Sybil's daughters were looking to buy some Canadian souvenirs before their return home. They wanted moccasins. Peter wanted to buy something special for Christine's upcoming birthday. He invited Vivica along to help him pick it out. She came begrudgingly, as she'd preferred Christine and Andrea's company to Peter's. But he'd insisted before the group split up each with their own shopping missions peter asked the group to synchronize watches and meet up at 9 15. there were no cell phones at the time so you couldn't simply call to let somebody know that you were ready to go peter and Vivica left sibyl and the others to their task and went off to find the burke's jewelry store While Vivica browsed around the store, Peter was paying for the silver locket that the two had settled on. At around 8.35, Vivica noticed Peter talking animatedly on the store phone. He waved her over and handed her the phone. On the other end was Christine and -and three-and-a-half-year-old Andrea Demeter. Christine put Andrea on the phone and she said, Hi. Mommy and I want you to come back to our house soon." The group finished shopping and met up at 9.15 as they'd agreed. The group began to make their way back toward Mississauga to the west. Peter stopped once to pick up the late edition of a newspaper from a newspaper box. As the car pulled into the driveway at 1437 Dundas Crescent in Mississauga, Peter looked at his watch and commented, It's 9.45, just enough time for coffee. He reached for the remote control for the garage door and pushed the button. As the garage door came up, the headlights from the Mercedes revealed a horrific scene. Christine Demeter clad in her nightgown lay motionless in a huge pool of blood next to Peter's Cadillac. Now that the door was open, the blood had the freedom to seep slowly down the slanted driveway. Oh my God, oh my God, Peter cried. Sybil leapt out of the car and Peter followed into the garage. The children were told to stay put until Peter and Sybil ensured that help was on the way. Thankfully, three-year-old Andrea Demeter was sitting quietly watching TV in the living room of the Demeter home. She was unharmed and had no idea of the horrific state of her mother only meters away. She was unaware of the whole thing. Peter called 911 and told them he thought his wife had attempted to commit suicide. Paramedics and police began to arrive. Christine Demeter was declared dead by first responders after a cursory examination. When asked what he thought might have happened, Peter Demeter suggested that his wife might have fallen onto her head from the rafters in the garage.
1: Hmm. Right. Yeah, not uh, what I would expect anybody would be prepared for going out shopping. No, coming and home they to come that home, scene.
0: Yeah. He just talked to her on the phone.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah it's, um, so it was a matter of probably an hour.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, yep. yeah. Not not at all. Um, yeah, something you can prepare yourself for.
0: No. And you've you've seen a, a horrific thing like that yourself?
1: F- fairly similar. Went out with the. Uh, uh, I would have I would have been young like that child, but went out for the morning and came came home to find uh, uh, what I would call a, a parent, a step parent, hanging in our home. So, yeah, yeah. I've, I've... And she'd committed suicide. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And so I can I can. Uh... So that's a pretty traumatic thing <clears throat> yeah. for people to see. Yes, even at the age of three, that's something because I was close to that age that's something that will linger
0: absolutely the best description of the crime scene comes from Mississauga police detective Sergeant John Forbes as noted in the book By Persons Unknown The Strange Death of Christine Demeter which was authored by George Jonas and Barbara Amiel quote on entering the garage I noticed there was a body of a female lying face down on the concrete floor of the garage with her feet toward the north and her head was toward the south Her hands were folded under her breast and not visible. She was wearing a long, ankle-length brown plush gown and silver slippers, one of which was still on her right foot and the other lying on the floor, west of her left foot. On closer examination, I observed she was wearing a pair of white bikini panties with black and brown polka dots. These panties were in good condition and were in place on her hips. She was not wearing a brassiere. The gown she was wearing was backless and tied to the back of her neck. On examination of the body, it was noted that there were numerous small bruises on both thighs, shins, and her right knee. There was a large massive wound to the skull of the body caused by a crushing action. It was apparent that the brain matter had emerged from this cranial
1: wound. geez, that's got to be a serious uh, blow or fall or whatever, We're Like to, to, uh, for brain matter to be visible. It's not uh, uh, just a bonk.
0: Peter's 73 Cadillac had blood all over one side. Christina had been hit in the head with something heavy like a tire iron, and that was at least six or seven times. Hmm. Who would have done such a thing with her daughter sitting just inside the house?
1: So Peter had said that he suspected a fall. Yes. From the rafters above. It, you're not going to walk back up, fall again, walk back up and fall again. Like, so for six blows. Yeah. 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 Uh, his uh, analysis is off.
0: Let's learn a bit about these folks. In 1940, Christine Lizalot Maria Ferrari was born in the city of Innsbruck, Austria, which had been recently annexed by the Nazi-led German army. Hmm. She was the only child of her Catholic parents and received a parochial education as a result. You know what a
1: parochial is, Scott? Uh, uh, taught by your parents. No. God damn it. Taught by the church. That's what I meant. Your parents are not the church. That don't tell them that.
0: <laughs> At 17, Christine left school and married her first husband, Herbert Honlinger. And then she had a son, just months later, named Martin. Martin Honlinger. Christine was still growing and surpassed her first husband by two inches over time. Oh, wow. She became interested in fashion and the modeling world in the late 1950s. Trouble started in the marriage quickly thereafter. Uh Uh-oh. Herbert and Christine were divorced in 1963... Herbert got custody of six-year-old Martin and Christine was free to pursue her career as a model. So they've been together for a chunk of time. Not really. Six years.
1: That's a chunk of time.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She started to make appearances in magazines and was beginning to make moves in the fashion world in Vienna. Hmm. Christine even became entangled with famous German fashion photographer Gunter Sachs for a time. She later claimed Gunter had asked her to marry him, but she refused. Gunter, who'd been married to Bridget Bardot prior to meeting Christine, was not passionate enough for her. Wow. I know, right? Wow. Well, maybe that's why Bridget Bardot left him too.
1: Uh, could be oh Ouch. I, I you know, I always suspected.
0: In nineteen sixty seven she became involved with Franz Antel, a successful filmmaker with numerous films under his belt mostly sexy rom-coms in German, of course.
1: So I'm, I, I'm fascinated to see where this goes. She, like She's married and, and dating and spending time with some pretty elite people. And then you got Peter.
0: Christine even had a small part in one of Antel's films that was shot early that year. Ooh. In February, Christine was introduced to a man visiting from Canada. His name, Peter Demeter. Mm-hmm. Peter was tall, confident, and rough and ready. Oh. He was no milk toast like Gunter Sachs. He knew what he wanted and was not afraid to go out and get it. He knew all the right people. Peter had money and access. Okay,
1: well, all right.
0: Christine was smitten with him right away.
1: Okay, he's no Gunter Sachs.
0: Christine didn't speak English yet, but as well as her native German tongue, she was also fluid in French and Italian. Hmm. She'd have no problem with the fourth language. Peter was impressed with her, too. She was 26 and at the height of her beauty. Mm. Peter himself had seen tough times. He, his brother, and mother had survived a Russian bombing in World War II that had killed his father. Oh, wow. Peter's older brother was later killed by a German bullet in the fighting for Pest. Wow. Which later became Budapest. After the war, having been liberated from Nazi rule by the Russians, Hungary was under Soviet rule. Peter was sent to live with his cousins in the country. Peter returned to the city, ready to become a filmmaker and a journalist once Mm. he was older. He wanted to attend university for this, but as these professions were not respected in the Soviet world, they were seen as subversive. Mm. Peter was expelled. He went to work in 1954 as a truck driver, but was later drafted into two years mandatory military service. However... As he was already seen as bourgeois, which was a no-no in communism, he was to be sent to do forced labor so he could learn his place. Mm. After failing twice at escaping to the West, two weeks before he was due at the labor camp, Peter and a friend made their way to Vienna, where both
1: sought asylum at the U.S. Embassy. And probably enjoyed in some of those sweet sausages, Vienna sausages.
0: You like them? Sure, they're great. Well, that was the commercial. You like him. You like ben. Oh, was it? Yeah. Peter lived briefly in a refugee camp for others fleeing Soviet rule, but thanks to family connections, he was quickly on a boat to Quebec City. Mm. He spent four months in Canada, but returned to Graz, Austria, to visit his ailing mother. This is where Peter met a young man named Zaba Silagi. Yeah, him. He was at the time studying the Jesuit faith, so also a Catholic. Mm-hmm. The two became fast friends, and Saba would play a large part in what was yet to transpire. They would remain in close touch as Peter was back and forth between Europe and Canada over the next Mm. few years. Peter, fearing he'd lose his landed immigrant status in Canada, moved to Toronto in 1957 after nearly six months in Austria. He took many odd jobs around the city, including a stint as a fuller brush salesman. I don't even know what that is. So fuller brushes.
1: Yes yeah, that used know.
0: to be kind of a joke. It's like you know you just you're going to end up being a fuller brush sales oh
1: kind of like El Bundy selling shoes, yeah kind yeah, of okay, yeah.
0: He began to save money for investing specifically in real estate development while he was still doing odd jobs. He even drove a cab at one point yeah
1: you gotta, got, everybody's got to work.
0: He invested twenty thousand dollars into an apartment building in nineteen sixty two but where he got so much money was kind of questioned.
1: Yeah, that in 62, that's a lot of coin. Peter's
0: name came up as connected to some sort of scam that had investors sending money to Hungary with some promised return on their investment. Mm. And when they received nothing but a forged receipt, they were outraged. You don't say. Although police checked these allegations, Demeter was never charged or convicted for these.
1: <laughs> but that is a lot of money to suddenly come up with when you're plugging away selling brushes and driving cabs.
0: Right. Regardless, Eden Gardens, Peter's first foray into the real estate world, began to sell apartments. Mm -hmm. Peter was on his way up. A year later, Peter's mother died while he was visiting Europe. He met another player who would figure in the Tangled story later. Her name was Marina Hunt, a 20-year-old model. Peter was so taken with Marina that he proposed to her on the second time that he saw her at a cocktail party.
1: Dear God.
0: She didn't want to move away from Vienna, especially to Canada, of which she knew little, and she barely spoke any English. Mm. She also had another fiancé already, but Peter didn't care. He pressed on. As we mentioned, he liked to go after what he wanted. Yeah, he determined. Peter was obsessed and sent Marina letter after letter. Sometimes she was slow to respond, so Peter would send... Another, more
1: desperate letter. One thing I've learned in life, women love desperation in (laughs) men.
0: Marina, not really interested, kept Peter at arm's length, but strung him along, meeting him now and again for little rendezvous. In 1966, Peter was in Vienna and wanted to take Marina out to celebrate the anniversary of their meeting. When Marina declined and spent the weekend with another man, (laughs) Peter was enraged.
1: (laughs) You don't say
0: Peter showed up at Marina's doorstep, banging on the door. Oh, dear. When Marina answered, Peter choked her and threatened her with a revolver that he had had.
1: Okay, so this is when my loathe of Peter begins.
0: Marina got away from Peter, and he later received a letter from someone claiming to be Marina's lawyer, warning him away. Hmm. Soon after, Marina sent Peter another letter, apologizing and begging him to take her away from Vienna. Peter ran back to Marina, but when he arrived, there she was with her boyfriend again. (laughs) Two weeks later. Mm. Two weeks later is when Peter Demeter met Christine Ferrari.
1: She should have kept that last name,
0: by the way. It's a great name. Yeah, Ferrari? Scott Ferrari. Our friend Patrick's middle name is Ferrari. I
1: know. Yeah. Lucky bastard.
0: Peter and Christine were married at Toronto City Hall on November 14th, 1967. Nine days after Christine's 27th birthday. (laughs) So there, we're all caught up on their history.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: This is a weird one.
1: It seems like it right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah.
0: As detectives examined Christine's body in the Demeter family garage, they quickly became suspicious. Her injuries did not look like a simple fall. Exactly. This was later backed up by pathologists. Uh, Yeah. Peter was acting strangely at the crime scene according to police officers as well. He acted aggressively with the first responding officers who were expecting a distraught husband. At other times, he seemed strangely calm.
1: What a weird way to react to emergency crews.
0: Especially with your wife laying there. Yeah. As they were waiting for the ambulance... Peter, standing near Christine's body, demonstrated for their friend Sybil how he thought Christine had fallen from the rafters in the garage.
1: Yeah, okay, like that's like you're trying really hard to convince people.
0: Yep, he was waving his arms and legs about and yeah, like, this yeah. is how it happened. Yeah,
1: You. Tr- so you're trying to plant that in their heads, uh, steer the direction of where they're going to look. It's a pretty strong tell. Well,
0: Peter thought he was smarter than everybody else. I'm so. not surprised.
1: When detectives first wanted
0: to question Peter, he coldly said that there was too much excitement and he wished to talk later. And they agreed to that. Uh. Peter kept asking why Christine's body had not been moved from the garage. He wanted to take her to the hospital.
1: Yeah, okay. What, what they'll do, I don't know. When Peter was
0: told that police wanted to ensure Christine was given the dignity of a full investigation, Peter said, well, can't you get her out of here?
1: Oh, my God, that's so cold.
0: Peter was also acting like every question was an accusation. No one had accused him of anything. Hmm. When Peter was asked to come to the police station for questioning, he asked, am I under arrest?
1: Oh, yeah, so suspicious, this guy.
0: They just wanted to talk to him about what had happened.
1: Mm, Yeah, which you would think is understandable.
0: Even during questioning, Peter was evasive and gave weird answers indicating he was hiding something.
1: He's doing a terrible job at trying to like turn attention away from him.
0: He was not doing himself any favors. Exactly. It wasn't just the fact that he was Christine's husband. We all know the, the husband is usually the first person they look at. Yeah. But it was his actions that caused police to look at him as their prime suspect pretty
1: much right away. Yeah, well, everything he's doing is directing them towards him. 100%. Yeah, like, yeah, not a smart man. It was quickly discovered that Peter and Marina
0: both had $1 million life insurance policies on each other. Holy crackers, for that
1: time, that's like... That's a lot of cash.
0: Their marital troubles surfaced early in the investigation as well. Peter had continued to see Marina on the side, the model from mm. Vienna,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Christine also had her share of affairs outside the marriage. The two were known to argue a lot.
1: Holy fart knockers, that's a lot of uh, carrying on outside the relationship there for these guys.
0: Police began to feel that oh, although Peter was not physically involved, what they were sure of was that Christine had been murdered and that Peter was somehow involved in the planning or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. He definitely knew more than he was telling. Yeah, him. clearly. They tapped Peter's phone the day after Christine's death. Mm. There was no need for a court order at that time. Oh, wow. What time to be alive. He just tap anybody. As mentioned above, well, I think they had to have some kind of like...
1: Well, I'm sure, but it's still like, you know, yeah. Now probable you, cause. Now there's lots of forms.
0: Yeah. As mentioned above, Saba Silagi was one of Peter's close associates. The cops knew it too. They questioned Saba at a pizza shop, and he spilled his guts. Oh, okay. In
1: 1968,
0: when Saba had finished his military service in Austria, Peter invited him to come live with him in Canada. But as he didn't have adequate accommodation for him at the time, he got Saba a job in Austria Hmm. until he was able to find a place for him to live. Yeah, okay. In late 1968, Peter told Saba that he had come up against some obstacles and there was an unspecified person in Peter's life who he wanted killed. Oh, okay. Okay, then. Peter spoke to Saba multiple times about this over the next few months, never mentioning who or why. Mm. In 1969, Peter paid for Saba to come to Canada and gave him a room in their house where Saba lived until the summer of 1970. In the late summer of 1970, Peter told Saba for the first time that the person he wanted killed was his wife.
1: Hmm. <laughs> Christine.
0: all right. During the next two or three years, Demeter discussed a number of schemes for killing Mrs. Demeter with Saba. Peter wanted it to look like an accident. In the spring of 1973, Saba said he'd become increasingly uncomfortable with this kind of talk and didn't want to discuss it any further. yeah, Yeah. Peter was angry at Saba and didn't bring it up with him again. Saba signed a statement claiming all the above was true and agreed to help police by being wired at the funeral home where Christine's body now lay, awaiting her memorial service and interment. Hmm. Saba began talking to Peter in private how the police were pressuring him into taking a lie detector test. Uh. Peter was reassuring Saba he had nothing to worry about. Peter even offered to pay for Saba's legal bills if any were required. Here's a bit of what was said in one exchange. I want to know. Peter says... Now then, you know that you're perfectly innocent, don't you? Saba says, Well, yes, I know. Peter says, But now then, consequently... And Saba says, You know it, too. Peter then says, I am the one who knows best. And you know even better how innocent you are, don't you? Consequently, please don't get excited about it. (laughs)
1: He likes the word consequently.
0: Like, Consequently, he does. <laughs> Peter goes on to infer that he himself does not know who killed Christine, that there was a middleman involved keeping him another layer removed from the crime.
1: But that's an admission
0: of knowledge of it. He infers it. Mm. After another conversation with Saba over the phone, where Peter jokes with him about knowing Christine was having an affair and that Christine had him followed too, Police found his tone was cold, and they'd had enough.
1: Well, yeah, his tone was cold right from the beginning. Yeah. In, in, in his garage with the police.
0: Not at all that of the grieving husband. Yeah,
1: no, exactly.
0: And they'd also found that money was moving all over the place, and
1: uh, Mm-hmm.
0: even to people in Europe with shady backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Even though no murder weapon had been found, the police had a strong suspect, As to who the actual murderer of Christine Demeter had been. Mm, Intriguing. They began to feel they had a strong enough case, though, to try Peter first. Okay. They were concerned that he might flee to Europe and disappear if he was tipped off.
1: I get that concern. I mean, he still has probably family and lots of connections back there.
0: But he kind of thinks he's getting one over on the
1: cops. Yeah, yeah. well, you can tell this is a guy whose ego is uh, larger than reality.
0: The police arrested Peter at his home on August 17th, 1973, one day less a month after Christine's murder. They charged him with non-capital murder of his wife, so that means you can't hang for it, Mm -hmm. because Peter Demeter hired lawyers Edward Greenspan and Joseph Pomerant to defend him, and the legal wrangling began. Over a year later, Peter's trial started. Saba betrayed Peter on the stand, reiterating what he told police about Peter's desires to murder Christine. Oh, interesting. I wonder how Peter felt about that. The damning tapes were played as well. Letters between Marina and Peter were admitted in evidence also. One letter from July 9th, 1973, Peter wrote Marina and signed off saying, I await your arrival like children wait for Christmas. Hmm. Marina's letter back to peter on july 10th contained her worries about being pregnant remember this is just 8 days before christmas wow okay another of the interesting features of demeter's trial was the testimony of a hooded figure called mr x Mr. X, it turned out, was a jailhouse snitch named Galia Virag. Mr. X told the court that Peter had admitted to hiring a hitman known as The Duck in Hungary. Oh. This man, Imre Olienkvik, a small-time criminal, was later sought by the Canadian government as the physical murder of Christine Demeter. Before he could be apprehended, however, and extradited back to Canada, The Duck turned up dead. Oh. So, dead duck?
1: Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> how fitting.
0: Terrible. Yeah. The defense went to work. A former boxer named Joseph DiNardo claimed Christine had offered him $10,000 to beat Peter to death only a week before she died. And another associate of his named Epper may have committed Christine's murder. Oddly enough, Epper was conveniently dead after a gunfight with police six weeks after christine's murder this is all scooters it's hard to follow because i suspect most of it is bullshit dinardo claimed his friend had shown up bloody and frantic on the night of christine's murder Hmm. dinardo denied being paid for his testimony
1: of course he's gonna yeah deny it. yeah
0: peter did not testify in his well, own defense well that
1: that is what is usually recommended so
0: the 11-week trial the longest in canadian criminal history ended with the jury sent out to consider their decision After almost 48 hours of deliberation, they came back in, finding Peter Demeter guilty of hiring someone to murder Christine. Thank goodness. Before sentencing, Peter was given an opportunity to speak, and he rambled on for a full 17 minutes. Oh, dear God. From the Ottawa Citizen on December 7th, 1974, the end of Demeter's emotional appeal went, Someone of my background cannot exist in prison. I find it difficult to exist under the suspicions not to be able to reconcile your verdict. I'm sure everyone who is found guilty of something has all kinds of explanations, some using the veil of innocent, but that is not my intention. His voice choked with emotion as he neared the end of his address by announcing he would not appeal the conviction. His lawyers announced later, however, that an appeal would be made. (laughs) Demeter then stated, I hereby announce... I am not guilty of murder. He then listened to the sentence from Mr. Justice Grant. Peter was sentenced to life in prison. Well, thank God for that. Wow. I'm not a fan of this jerk. He wasn't done yet. Oh, the judge wasn't? No, Peter. Peter Peter was not done yet. Oh, well. Demeter sued the insurance companies that didn't want to pay the murderer his wife's insurance payout. Claiming he was innocent and that he had new evidence. The cases were dismissed, and Peter Demeter did not get that money.
1: Oh, uh, hilarious! Him saying, "I don't want to appeal it," which ended up happening. But he doesn't want to appeal it. Has new evidence, right? For For the money, yeah, exactly.
0: Here comes the money, exactly. In 1983, Demeter had served almost ten years, and due to good behavior. He was moved to a Peterborough, Ontario halfway house. Oh, I think I can see where this is going. Stephen, Demeter's cousin, had custody of Andrea, Christine, and Peter's daughter. Hmm. Stephen was also the lawyer who represented Peter during the civil court cases with the insurance companies. Okay. Stephen charged a $60,000 legal bill to Peter's finances and paid himself with Peter's money. <laughs> Which he also had because of the custody that he had of Andrea. Okay. So he had a lot more access to Peter's yeah, cash. Yeah. Peter was not happy with this. Hmm, well, I can understand why. But it looked like he might get out soon, and he was another sixty thousand dollars lighter in the wallet. Hmm. Not cool. But, not cool. You know, he owed the guy the money. He did. And the guy had access to the money, so he took it.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: He did what was within his legal right to do. Yeah.
1: But Peter is just uh, greedy and selfish and thought about him.
0: Well, he came up with a plan with oh. a couple of inmate pals.
1: Oh, is it like they're going to like make a cake, and bring it to him in hopes that he will give the money back?
0: Maybe it's something like that, yeah. but not really. Oh. He wanted his pal, Tony Preston, to burn down the Demeter's home in Mississauga for 8,000 bucks. Tony would be paid out of the insurance money from the destruction of the home. Hmm. <sighs> Tony was caught before he could do anything, and he not only rolled over on Peter about the plan to burn down the house, but went on to uncover a much more deviant scheme. No. The money from the insurance proceeds was also to go toward the kidnap and murder of Peter's cousin Stephen and his son. Holy jeez. Demeter was charged with conspiracy to kidnap and murder. Oh, wow. Wow. So a guy who's already in jail. Innocent. Innocent, Mike. Innocent. He's innocent. Yeah, he's innocent. He's never it's done It's not anything. in his character. Horrible. Horrible. Like he's just been framed multiple times. Right? Preston testified with the promise that his own arson charges would be stayed. Peter tried to kill himself with pills that he'd been somehow hoarding.
1: Hmm. Well, part of me says it sucks that he was not successful.
0: Again, there were damning tapes played at his trial. In July 1985, Peter was convicted of the charges and received two life sentences to run concurrently. Hmm. District Court Judge G. Burke Smith said, The contract killing of a close relative has a shuddering similarity to the accused prior crime. (laughs) Yes, Smith also referred to Demeter as a very dangerous man. Very intelligent, but diabolical.
1: He pretty much nailed it, yeah. He's
0: got to be done now, right?
1: Oh, he's got to be done. What else could there be? Is he in plot to murder the judge now? Well, there's more. Oh, great.
0: While in the halfway house, Peter Demeter met a woman named Lisa Ross, the mother of a nine-year-old girl. Oh, oh God. She had testified for Peter during his conspiracy to kidnap and murder trial, saying he was innocent of mm. what he was accused mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Ross said that Demeter told her at one point, That he didn't care if, and this is a quote from her, he didn't care if I wasn't as beautiful as other women who had been in his life.
1: Oh, I don't really know how to reply to that. Um, She was clearly a vulnerable person. Oh, my God.
0: And in a bad spot to have tolerated that kind of treatment. Oh. Uh, But she wanted to make up for her inferiorities by assisting Demeter. Peter just wanted her to lie for him on the stand, outlining another lie in a letter about falsifying evidence.
1: I guess his name even Peter. Like, so far, nothing about this guy seems like it's on the up and up.
0: He signed the letter, You're loving, slowly dying, hopelessly in love, sweetheart.
1: Well, that's how I address all my letterhead to you. It's true. It is. That's true.
0: Peter Demeter had more diabolical plans up his sleeve.
1: I think the word diabolical was created for Peter.
0: Toby Bellman, mother of three children, was at one time Demeter's lawyer during a bail hearing and a preliminary inquiry. Okay. Demeter owed her a $45,000 legal fee, but he wouldn't pay up. Oh, God. So she froze 75,000 shares of Demeter's stock when he wouldn't pay her. Oh, good call. This was when Peter Demeter began to plan the kidnapping of Bellman's children.
1: My, like, this guy...
0: Demeter planned on hiring an ex-cellmate of his from Collins Bay Penitentiary, Michael Hodgson, a.k.a. the Doberman Pinscher or Nasty Mike, to kidnap Bellman's son.
1: Okay, like, I, I've at least got to give him credit for, like, his stick to it Like, if the first 17 attempts at kidnap and murder don't work out, like, keep going. Yeah. Maybe the 18th will. Maybe that'll be the one.
0: That's how you succeed in business, apparently. It, it, exactly. The plan was foiled when Lisa Ross, Demeter's ex-lover, failed to deliver a letter to Nasty Mike from Demeter. According to Ross, she couldn't because she was scared and the thought was too frightening to her.
1: Yeah, it's called the conscience.
0: Eventually, Nasty Mike was deported to England, his native home. Mm -hmm. Then Demeter decided to hire Peter Winstanley, another former cellmate, to have someone kidnap Bellman's teenage daughter, Eliza.
1: Yeah, my God. This guy
0: on July twenty eighth, nineteen eighty five, Lisa Ross received a phone call from Win Stanley inviting her to lunch. Okay. After Ross had received the okay from Demeter to attend the lunch, he instructed her to ask Win Stanley if he wanted to take one of Toby Bellman's children on vacation.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Weird request.
0: Ross later testified that when she asked Win Stanley the question. He asked for clarification of exactly what was meant by vacation. Ross then testified that a figure of $25,000 was discussed and that at a later meeting, the kidnap plot itself was discussed. Lisa Ross, Demeter's ex-lover, testified as to the breakdown figure of $300,000 that Demeter was going to ask for the ransom of the child, Hmm. less $30,000 plus expenses for the man that Demeter was going to hire to do the job. (sighs) The rest would be for living expenses for Demeter and Lisa Ross to live in exile in Costa Rica when he got out on early parole, which I'm sure was going to happen, along with $400,000 worth of stock that he'd hidden away. Holy jeez. This guy... His plan was to write books about all the things he'd done and make it appear that he and Ross were living off the profits from the book sales stated by Demeter during a taped conversation with Ross at a Metro West detention center on August 12th, 1985. So he told on himself.
1: And you can clearly see how this guy's brain works, how uh, methodical he is. uh, He's just always working on another thing. Yeah, which only supports the first... the the murder of his wife. You know what I mean? Like that, that is exactly fits. It fits in so perfectly with how his brain like
0: a duck and excuse the pun because there's a dead duck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, punned two days after this conversation was recorded on August 14th, 1985, when Stanley was supposed to have the kidnapping take place, Demeter had already mailed the ransom note to Bellman. The kidnapper was to take the girl to a hideout about 260 kilometers north of Toronto, where the girl would be murdered if Bellman didn't pay out. Once the kidnapping had taken place and Eliza was in the safe house, Peter was supposed to get a message. Signed by Eliza that would say, Please solve the impasse in Metro West. This was the cue to Demeter that he was to start negotiating at the jail with Bellman. Ross testified that Demeter was prepared to threaten Bellman with the kidnapping of all three of her children. However, Peter knew that the threat would never have to be worked through because he knew that Bellman would pay the ransom for the first girl. Oh, okay. Very, very, uh, confident. Lisa Ross was originally charged with being a co-conspirator in the kidnapping, but was described as unindicted co-conspirator and testifying for the crown, which means she got immunity for her testimony. At the sentencing in 1988 regarding this kidnap plot, Justice O'Driscoll stated that time and again, (laughs) he has proven he is dangerous if he has access to money. Mm. The justice went on to state, if Peter Demeter is a psychopath, he has a unique feature. Instead of burning out as he gets older, he's getting worse. Yeah, yeah, clearly. In May 2006, after Demeter had refused to provide a DNA sample, a judge ordered one taken and his DNA has since been included in Canada's DNA databank mm. in case he ever escapes or get out. Mm-hmm. While in jail, now housed in the Medium Security Bath Institute in Bath, Ontario, Demeter has had a stroke, a heart attack, and three bouts with cancer. He's still kicking and will turn 86 years old in April of 2019. hmm There was a very bad fictional film made about the case called I Miss You, Hugs and Kisses, made in 1978. I'll post a link in the show notes for prosperity's sake, but you really shouldn't bother. It's a waste of your time.
1: But, you know, when you say that, that only incentivizes people. And I kind of knew that. Myself included.
0: And people are going to go watch it because it's bad. Yeah. So that's the story of uh, Peter Demeter.
1: Yeah, Peter Demeter. This guy's a... What do you think? Yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh, He is, uh, uh, the fact that he had that crime carried out, the initial crime carried out with his child in the house. Yep. Like he he cares nothing but him profiting at the expense of uh, others, no matter what their well-being will be. Like he doesn't care how anything he's doing is impacting anybody.
0: No, totally he doesn't.
1: Totally a psychopath completely he just like all he cares about is himself and primarily how he's going to acquire more money yep like it's yeah so I want that like, makes me even more curious now where that original 20,000 he came up with for that apartment complex
0: I don't, we don't know for sure
1: well, no we don't but I just I mean like, he
0: could have been frugal na-
1: well, yeah no now that we see what he's willing to do for money you know the fact that he had at one point just suddenly come into money like yeah what what did he do it, very, very curious, but uh, yeah, no, this guy's a this guy's a jerk.
0: I read an article on CBC where journalists went and talked to his daughter Andrea. Oh wow, she's okay. now like our age, yeah, yeah, and um, she has PTSD and has had like just the worst life, yes. thanks to this this guy. It looks like she's turned her life around now. But she really had a rough time because of all this stuff that she went through with her father and her mother having been murdered.
1: Yeah, as we talked about earlier, I can completely relate to that. I don't. She's think... the
0: she's the real victim in yeah. all this, as far as I'm concerned, and she's yeah. the one who's kind of forgotten about.
1: Yeah, what happened
0: to this three-year-old little girl who, yeah, yeah. you know, this brute had her mom killed. You're three or four, like you don't know. You don't know what's going on with your parents.
1: There's a lot of self uh, hate and, and blame. I, I know for myself, I grew up with abandonment issues because of it. Because you're always the three or four year old brain struggles to process these things in any other way other than I wasn't good enough. This happened because I wasn't good enough. It's it's when you're that age, a death like that of, of a parent, mm-hmm. you 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 absolutely process that is this is my fault the little brains don't recognize anything other than this is my fault if i was better this wouldn't have happened and sure. so the ptsd makes complete sense it makes complete sense my event lingered with me my entire life it impacted almost everything i did so i get this girl like i get where, where she's coming from and uh, and wow yeah, you're right. She's she's the real victim in all of this. Well, one of the the real victims in all of this. And she mentions uh
0: people always want to talk about her father and they never mention her mother.
1: Mm. You know, and she mm-hmm. can't
0: she can't really remember her mom cuz she was like Too 3 yeah. 3 years old. Yeah. She said she remembers she had coarse hair. Yeah. And when I read that I was just like, "Oh, wow, that's like that's what you can remember about your mom?" Yeah. You know, like the, you you have no
1: real your memories are kind of like snapshots at that, like, sure. you can be it a, a feeling, a smell, like, it's just like, it's just these little snapshots. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really quite, uh, uh,
0: I did a bit of Facebook stalking,
1: yep, on her,
0: and it looks like she's a happy person now. Like, there was a lot of, uh, that's awesome, smiley faces and stuff.
1: So, good, good, you know, um, if you can survive those kind of things, uh, uh long term, then uh there's a lot of strength in that in that lady and so uh i'm proud of her and and that's pretty amazing yeah
0: i mean i'm i'm floored by by the resilience of the human soul over and over and over yeah again. right you know like we 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 see it week after week after week yeah all right thanks so much for listening to this weird episode
1: Peter Demeter
0: Peter Demeter.
1: For you. Peter Demeter for me.
0: Before we go, we want to give some shout-outs to our new patron patrons. This week's good eggs are Shelley Rodriguez from Gonzales, Louisiana. Hey,
1: Hey. welcome, Shelley. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Sean Wolf from Rochester, Washington. Great name. Thank you, Sean. Wolf was my family name in... uh... Oh, was it? Yes.
1: Uh Uh-uh. Yeah.
0: In, uh, In the Netherlands. Mine was Fox. Fox? No, I'm lying. It wasn't. <laughs> Catherine Davis from Bellevue, Washington. Hey,
1: Catherine, that's, that's close by.
0: Tara Dodd, who didn't let us know where she's from, so we we make stuff up.
1: Oh, Tara Dodd? No, I know, I know where where she's from. I know all about her. Where's she from? Oh, she's from Connecticut. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: And what what does she do?
1: Uh, she's actually uh, a professional catfisher. Like she with the they they the, they actually catch catfish with their hand.
0: Oh, interesting! Yeah, like, yeah, and it crawls up their arm, kind of thing.
1: Well, kind of, like the they're they're quite huge, and yeah. like you use your hand, kind of at, at, at somewhat as bait. And when they lock on, you pull them up and out of the water. And there was a show about them a while ago. She wasn't on it. Okay, she wasn't on it. But you but know
0: that's where she's from.
1: I know that's where she's from, and that's her occupation because well, it's thank a pretty. You, Tara Dodd. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty remarkable job and courageous. So I'm really really proud of your line of work.
0: And now Corey Smith. Yeah, she also didn't leave an address.
1: Oh, you, you don't know where where Corey's from? No. Oh well, again, this is, uh, it can't be Connecticut. No, Candy Bunk Bunkport. That's, not,
0: that's Maine. Yeah. And George uh, George Bush Senior had a had a nice cottage there.
1: I know, I know. Well, that's actually why she moved there.
0: Like she had a crush on him.
1: Stalk. Well, she well, was says a, was a Jeb. She says crush. The the legal system says stalk.
0: Oh dear! Yeah. yeah, we're walking a very fine line here.
1: No, she was walking a very f- not us. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, but she's like she's moved past that all. You're making this up. She's moved past it all. Okay, a- and well, uh, thanks, Corey. Yeah, yeah, Corey.
0: Uh, there's Kate Germany, and I was thinking, I wonder where she's from. Uh, she's Germany. No, nope, oh. she's from Troy, Illinois. Of
1: course, makes
0: sense. Thank you, Kate. And then there's David Jobs. hey, hey David but I don't know where he's from either.
1: Huh. Well, let's take a shot at this one. Okay. Okay. Jobs. So, um, David Jobs. Let me just like, what. so what? Closing my eyes. Picture oh my him.
0: gosh. I see Alaska.
1: Oh, yeah, Alaska.
0: So he's an Alaskan. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: yep. Rugged individualist. Well, it's hard not to be when you live in Adla- Alaska. I yep. almost said Adlatska. Yep. Also great place. Uh.
0: But interestingly, he likes to go about with no shirt on.
1: Well, he puts a lot of effort into his body. Sure. He, you know, he puts he had to show it off. Yeah, he puts, like, you You should be proud of that. If
0: you got it, flaunt it. S- Neither
1: of us do. Strut about. Yeah, no, I, in Australia, I put more shirts on. You didn't want to burn up. No, no. But no, uh, uh, if my memory serves me correct, he's a bear trapper, right?
0: I thought he was a hairdresser.
1: Oh, I get those two confused. Okay. Quite frequently. Okay. Yes, yes, hairdresser. Well, thank
0: you, David Jobst. Thanks, David. Or Jobst. Jobst, Jobst. Monica Falatic, and she's from Newport News, Virginia. Oh, hey, Monica. And Sarah Marie Vale, and she's from Plymouth in Great Britain.
1: Oh, it is pretty great there.
0: Pip-pip, tally-ho.
1: Yep, yep. Chip-chip, cheerio, Sarah.
0: Thanks so much to our patrons, past and present for your pledges we really appreciate your support of the show if you want to help support our show you can do so at patreon.com dark or for a one-time donation you can send us some donut money via paypal at our email address darkpoutinepodcastgmail.com and we did get some donut money this week donut money interestingly kim newman my old pal Sakari, who I used to game with, and uh, I remember one time she spilled, like a glass of water, into her uh, keyboard while we were playing a, a match. Somewhere. Oh, that's not good! It was like Call of Duty Two it or is, something. We that were, is we not recommended. And let's just say there was a string of blue words that <laughs> came from from her uh, her headset, her neck in the woods.
1: Wow! Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I th- can imagine.
0: Kim's an old friend. I think we've known each other for, like, online. We've known each other for, oh, my gosh, it's, like, going on, like, four hours, 15 years. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah. That is is a chunk of time. It is. Uh, So, hi, Kim. She lived in Vegas the last time we chatted, but. uh,
1: Do you still game with her?
0: uh, No, we haven't in a long time. I'm. Just, I don't know what maybe, she's
1: playing. She has a Twitch stream. Maybe it's time to re uh, reestablish that gaming bond.
0: I'll look up her her Twitch stream. Maybe, maybe and I'll make it make a mention of it next week. Yeah. We got a a donation from someone who wanted to remain anonymous, an unknown oh. masked person, oh. masked donor, this is and expensive. it is the largest one time donation that we've ever received. Whoa. Uh, and we don't want to go into how much it is. Let's just say it's nowhere near that fifty thousand bucks. That we, uh, that we require before we come and lay on a bearskin rug and do an episode.
1: Yeah, but it's still really... But it don't. was a
0: big yeah. donation. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate it from unknown donor. Mm, this is a mystery. It is a mystery. Oh. Uh, Megan Wheeler, thank you for your donut money. Stuart Chandler Boss... Thank you for yours as well, Leslie McNabb and Angeline Harano.
1: Yeah, so Megan Stewart, Leslie, and Angelina. Holy cow, thank you guys so much. We appreciate it. We very much
0: do. Check out our website, www.darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine and tell your friends about us. Or don't.
1: No do. No do. Yeah, I'm do. gonna say do. I'm gonna yeah, say let's do. do. Yeah, do it.
0: Especially fun is the Yumberyard. People keep asking where the Yumberyard is from. Episode 12, folks. Episode 12. Just listen to episode 12, and you will hear me say Yumber instead of Lumber. Yep. And so it just kind of stuck.
1: As it should, and it's now like on shirts. We, we have Yumber swag.
0: Yeah. We have Yumberyard swag. It's pretty uh, great. At our uh, darkpoutine.threadless.com yep, store. It's pretty great. And uh, I just put up some more swag there the other day. Did you see that? I did. I did. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Grab yourself a double-double and an animal bar. It's well, time p- to scarf down some dark poutine.
1: Because we heard the feedback from people about the change that was made. And clearly, that's a, something important to a lot of the listeners. So why not make some swag?
0: Yeah. So people were upset with that, that little change. I was trying to be creative. Nobody made me do it. It was just me being like... <laughs> I think we should put dessert at the end because I felt like I was promoting the wrong kind of diet. Well, that's... And then people were telling me that it didn't flow and that, you know, they missed the beginning and they want their damn Nanaimo bar <laughs> and their double-double. <laughs> so there you can have it. We love you guys and we want to make you happy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's part of the creative process is you're going to try things. Some stick, some don't.
0: Yeah, it's like u two, Zubaropa. Oh. Yeah. Well, the
1: tour was hugely successful. Yeah, but they shouldn't have done that. Why? That album stunk. The, the album, yeah, but the tour. Lemon. They made money. I like that song. Actually. Oh, it's like terrible. Lemon. Yeah, I love
0: that song. the uh, edge in his one guitar string that he plays. I ding. I loved it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm not a, not saying I don't like you too. Just ding, 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 ding. He loved it. Anyway, you can subscribe to us in your favorite podcatcher like iTunes Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher TuneIn, Spotify, which is actually coming up the charts for us big in a big way. Oh. Or wherever you get your on-demand audio. I guess that's it for this episode. I guess it is. What? I know. Another one done?
1: Another one in the bag. In the bag. Yep, yeah. the bag of donuts. Oh, the Donut Bay, and
0: we're having a. Uh, I don't know if I should announce it on the show because we may get too many people show up, but we're gonna have <laughs> uh, a get together. Yep, at the Elephant and Castle. Yep, in Vancouver on Burrard. Yep, it's. I think it's Burrard and Hastings. This is in the Marine Building. Yeah, and it'll be upstairs on February second, and that is a Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So it's Groundhog Day. But Scott and I will be there. Carol will be there. Adam Pyatt from uh, Australia. Australia will be there. Yep. And, uh, he has his own podcast, the Point Blank Podcast. Yep. So He's coming
1: all this way, people.
0: He's coming all this way to eat poutine with us. Yeah. So we're going to have a pretty good time. So if you want to show up there, we're going to be there between 6 and 10. So Elephant and Castle, Marine Building, downtown Vancouver, upstairs, 6 to 10, February 2nd,
1: 2019. God, I'm kind of scared. I'm a little scared. Putting it on the show, how much that will, like, because we got a lot of local listeners.
0: Yeah, well, so we have room for 40, and right now, 35 are (laughs) coming. Five, four of you, if you're listening. But you know what? It's a bar. It's a pub. It's a big pub. I'm sure that they they will be happy to have a lot of people show up and 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 make noise and
1: No, I've I've got a I've got food. a I've got a 40 person personal limit. Like I won't talk like I'll talk to 40 people. Beyond that like it I I malfunction. Yeah. So if I shun you that I'm just that's why. No. Don't take it personal.
0: Well there you have it. <laughs> that's it for this week. Until next week. Don't forget to be a good egg. Not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Goodbye.